Hello, Karen Johnson. Thank you so much for joining the Lemon Spark podcast. I'm so excited that you agreed to talk to our audience today about who you are and your expertise with when, it, when it comes to life's lemons. So uh, please let us know who you are and what work do you do on behalf of those suffering from trauma? So thank you, Barbara. Thank you so much for having me today. I love the idea of your podcast, um, the idea of Lemon Spark. It fits so well with, with the work that I do. So I am a social worker and my work over the past six years specifically has been focused on partnering with um, organizations across the country, systems and communities to to advance the science and evidence that's part of a growing movement to become trauma-informed. Prior to actively getting into that piece of the work, I worked on the provider side in a multifaceted social service agency in Milwaukee, Wisconsin called St. A. And it was there that I was really first introduced to this approach, this lens. Um, I worked for most of my 20, 19 years there, I worked in our foster care programming. So worked with and partnered with children and families with very complex histories and needs. And what we started to do around 2008 is to bring in the science that was emerging around how children and their families, children and adults too, but specifically in our work, mostly focused on children, are impacted by the events in their lives, how their bodies and brains are impacted by traumatic insult, and then what to do about it. So we started bringing these practices into all of our treatment protocol, and then understood that it was necessary to move forward with creating an organizational culture that embraces the principles of trauma-informed care. So um, that's a lot of what my work has been is partnering with organizations such as the one I worked in to embrace these principles of safety, trustworthiness, voice and choice, mutuality, um, collaboration, and respect for historical gender and cultural differences and mutual peer support. Take those principles and infuse them throughout the organization ensuring that many parallel processes are impacted. So this, is, this, this movement and this work and the work I've been doing is not only focused on how we interact with the people we serve in our services. It's also about how we interact with each other, how our employers and our leaders interact with the people that are in organizations, how we interact with our collaborative partners across a system, how we interact with our volunteers, really how we interact with everyone. It's about being human. And so it's, it's it, you know, the work involves embracing this need for complex organizational change. That is uh, an evolutionary process. It's not a program, it's a process over time, over many years. And what we know though is, you know, it's, this movement has been gaining speed since the adverse child experiences study in the late 90s, which I can tell you more about. But what we know is that it is making a difference. It's impacting our communities and it's impacting our services and specifically providing um, environments and interactions and treatments that can help people who have experienced trauma to recover and heal. 
Um, oh, so. that's a lot. That's a big mouthful. So let me try yeah. to recap. So you're sure. a social worker by training. Correct. And you got introduced to this trauma-informed care or process when you were in Wisconsin, which is yes. my home state. So oh, yes. See, yes, that's right. Hello, Wisconsin. Midwest, yes. yes. <laughs> and what you learned was that people and organizations really don't have a good grasp about how trauma, particularly maybe childhood trauma, impacts, has lifelong lasting impacts on an, a person's just overall well-being, um, their approach to things. Their overall health, yes. Their overall health. And you're now in your job, is, which is in DC, to help train organizations and individuals, maybe providers who work with people who have experienced trauma to help them understand how that impacts that person, how trauma impacts that person and gives, raises their sensitivity maybe to um, the trauma experience so that sure. people aren't uh, as insensitive maybe Correct. To, to someone who has gone through a traumatic experience. And I think that's great because having worked in an organization myself, when I went through my own trauma and not, and that, that organization not being very supportive or understanding of what I had just gone through, I can definitely relate to uh, people who may be feeling trauma, you know, the effects of a traumatic event right now and not feeling, and feeling alone and not feeling like anyone understands or appreciates or is willing to even help <laughs> them get Absolutely. through. So you, um, you mentioned you, your experience as a staff member and, and the, as I noted, the parallel process piece is really important because what we know is we need to apply this sensitivity, as you know, it's a lens. It's help, it's a lens that two things, two big paradigm questions that we, that we use when we're striving to become trauma-informed is we move from what's wrong with you to what happened to you. So, and from what's wrong to what's strong. So we're looking and we're curious about what's happened to an individual. It doesn't mean we have to know the story in any way. We don't need to understand or hear people's stories in order to have this compassionate relationship focused approach. It, it's just, it's, it's there for us. We're understanding that people, every, most people have stuff going on. And so we're gonna, we're gonna take that into our worldview. And then the second lens it, or paradigm shift is people are doing the best they can. We are all doing the best we can. And so we bring that perspective to the work as well. And we bring it with the clients we serve and our staff. So uh, the staff piece, the workforce piece has been incredibly relevant. It, it's always been a part of this work. Um, but since March, <laughs> we have seen how important and critical it is and organizations everywhere of all uh, service sectors and profit, for-profit, non-profit have understood the need to pivot to taking care of their staff. Because if you don't have a workforce that is resilient and can adapt in these really difficult times, you are going to, to really struggle to meet your goals and meet your vision. So, so your, your part about your experience is very relevant. 
mm-hmm. for an organization to have have the, a safe culture in which people um, care for each other, in which um, people know how to ask for help, um, people um, can have difficult conversations about lots of things and stay whole. Mm-hmm. So yes, very relevant. Thank you. Yeah, uh, and and by March of this year, you meant the onset of COVID. Absolutely. That's what I was referencing. I mean, it's been, you know, we're seven months in, I think, and there's been so much that has happened in the last seven months, but COVID changed for, for um, health and human services, for primary care, for schools, for um, all services that provide support to others um, in, in many different ways and provide basic, um, basic needs. It, it changed the way we work, the way we serve. Um, and that has been incredibly challenging for the workforce, by the way, who is also living in the pandemic. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so individuals have had to adjust to their work lives, learning how to do telehealth, learning how to do case management remotely, which is uh, not ideal and challenging while they have children who are homeschooling and they have individuals in their family who are at risk of um, getting really ill if they get COVID while they're worried about or have worried about their jobs or have family members who have lost their employment. So, yeah, I love that you, the lens that you're trying to promote and uh, train people to have is to go away from what's wrong with you to what happened to you. Um, Not quite sure how you do that without sharing the story. I mean, if you were trying to understand someone through that lens of what happened to you, um, what? You know, it almost seems like you have to share at least a little bit of what happened to you. Well, I, I can um, reflect a little bit on that. I think there are many service sectors or, or organizations that are not charged with needing to know what happened to someone. So sure, certainly a behavioral health clinical organization, that's part of a uh, therapist's job. That, that's part of the, of the goal of the work. But you have, you, you know, you have a food pantry or you have even a YMCA um, and just two examples, even a church um, where if someone is presenting in a way that with behaviors that aren't acceptable in a traditional setting. So a child can't regulate, can't handle um, the rules that are going on, going on in a class at the YWCA or um, or um, et cetera, behaviors that are not acceptable. We don't need to know what happened to be curious and understanding of the fact that, oh, this child's brain may be impacted by events in their lives and they're struggling to regulate. They're maybe feeling unsafe. That's the other thing we know is you know, children and adults who have experienced trauma struggle with trust and mm-hmm. often feel unsafe, have a worldview in which they don't believe others are going to um, take care of them or meet their needs. So we know that. And so that helps us make sure that we are not always defaulting to a consequence-based discipline approach, which is our traditional method in schools and everywhere else we are. That's what we're used to. We're not always going to that place where every behavior needs a consequence, but we are understanding that behavior and symptoms in the moment are adaptations, that that person may be in a place of fear based on the neurobiology they've experienced 
and how their brains are functioning because of the traumatic insults they've had. They may be afraid. We don't understand why they're afraid. We don't need to understand why they're afraid necessarily all the time, but we can um, be careful about our language. We can be careful about how fast we move to punitive discipline. We can be reassuring. We can just listen to, to someone, you know, who is just uh, having a very hard day. So, and, and, and none of that really requires us understanding the, the trauma. I, I think what I'm trying to say is, yes, the clinical setting is all about that, but this applies to every setting. And there's lots of places where we don't need to know this story, but we just have to have that lens. Yes. I, I'll push back just a little bit, just using my own experience as an example. When I had my traumatic event, you know, I was in my 30s, mid 30s, and I did, after that event, have fear and trust issues. I totally did. Um, mostly of men. And uh, when I'm in the, when I was in the workplace and I was being asked to do assignments in, by a male colleague, there was an immediate uh, gut mm -hmm. reaction. like, I don't know if I trust this person. It's, it was a simple request to do some work. And yet that traumatic experience really prevented me from acting, I think, in a normal manner to a request to do work from a male colleague that I hadn't met before. And I, so I was very, you know, uh, afraid of, of what that relationship would look like <laughs> of a coworker, uh, just because my ability to trust had been totally yeah, scrambled. And so a colleague, of course, coming in to ask to do a project, um, would see my response as probably problematic <laughs> and, you know, unwilling to cooperate and um, those kinds of things, very negative things in a workplace, especially a professional workplace setting. So without them knowing the background of why I might have be having that reaction, because I, you know, I didn't tell them openly like, oh, guess what happened to me? But it was very uh, much a part of my everyday life when I'm mm -hmm. going through it. I don't know how, how, how they can see that through that lens without knowing the story, because otherwise all they see is a very uncooperative and very strange response to a right. request to do a project, for right. example. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing what, what you know, in a resilient-oriented trauma-informed work setting, hopefully there is an opportunity for you to share with the supervisor in a safe place, you know, what's going on there. Uh, this is impacting my performance in my work. This is what it's about. Can we problem solve together about what we do here? That's hopefully what would happen. In absence of that, I mean, the, you know, the ideal is that when someone is having a difficult experience with a co-worker, that they're not defaulting to, wow, she's just really a pain. She's here to ruin my day every day. What is going on, you know, in, in a negative way, but to be curious and to understand, you know, if you have information about how, through training, through awareness raising of how our brains are impacted by traumatic insults, as you talked about, you're going to be curious. You're not going to always go to this judgment, um, place that something's wrong with that with that person you're going to 
you know, in your head explore, well, maybe something's going on that I don't understand. There must be something happening here that I don't understand. And that person, hopefully in a trauma-informed, resilience-oriented workplace, would be able to go to their supervisor and explore, you know, any thoughts on, on how I can work through this in a, in a helpful way. And maybe throughout that process, you share, and maybe you don't. But, but, or you share your, probably, I think, in that type of healthy setting, you would have been able to say something about, you know, I'm having a reaction to gender relationships right now without having to tell your whole story. And maybe you'd be able to tell your whole story. Let me say this. I don't mean to um, say, I, I don't mean to understate the need for us to eliminate stigma in our workplace around mental health, challenges around addiction, around trauma. As we're getting stronger in our work settings, we need to be able to have these conversations and hopefully come to a place where it is okay to share and it's safe. So that, that is one of the goals. So I didn't mean to misrepresent that. Um, so hopefully that would be part of the process. But, but in absence of that, if you have a trauma-informed lens, it is possible to not always default to, my God, they are just making my life horrible and you know all those judgy things we say about our coworkers. Um, but yes eliminating the stigma around and especially right now you know the um, we know that uh, anxiety and depression rates are climbing we know that there's concern around uh, increasing suicide and opioid overdoses as a result of covid um, and the events related to George Floyd and, you know, social unrest, we know that that's, that's all um, trending upward. And so it is incredibly important for us to eliminate the stigma so we can have these conversations. So your point is well taken. I, I was just sharing it as, as a reminder that this isn't about every setting. It's just not about the clinical setting. Yes. Yes. And, and I appreciate that, that added insight that you um, provided because... I think that training that you were describing for the workplace is absolutely critical. Um, just having my own personal experience in different workplaces, I can see a huge need, especially yes. now, as you keep pointing out, with all of the stress-inducing events that are happening in our world uh, on a daily basis that is you know, in conjunction with maybe other types of trauma that people have experienced, um, you know, that doesn't go away just because COVID and the elections and right. racial inequities, you know, are, are now at the forefront of a lot of our discussions. There's still bad things that happen to people, unexpected things, accidents and illnesses and um, job losses and all those kinds of things. So yes, uh, I applaud your work. How can people learn more about your work? Uh, and if they maybe are in a workplace or another setting, a professional setting, clinical setting that they would like this kind of training, where can they go to learn more? Well, I have a website and I, I'd also just be happy to share my email, um, both of those things with you and would just be happy to have a a conversation with folks either either over email or on the phone, um, however that might work. So I'm right now I'm I worked at the National Council for Behavioral Health and led the trauma informed services portfolio for most of my five and a half years there, and then for a year now I've been out on my own as an independent consultant. Although I still um, contract with the National Council, so some of my work is through them. But um, I would be happy to share to share that information for sure with you. Sure. So what is the website 
that yeah. we can just tell our it's, listeners right now? So my, my, let me just tell my, my email. Well, I think it's www.traumainformedlens.net. Traumainformedlens, L-E-N-S.net. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Um, so people can go there if they're interested in learning more about yeah. the work you do and maybe yeah. wanting to bring that in-house um, to their place. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very critical and important work right now. I, I, um, I think, well, go ahead. Did you have another question? I was going to go ahead. So I, one other thing I wanted to ask you, uh, Karen is, you know, the premise of lemon spark is of course to share stories of hope and inspiration for people who may be going through uh, a grieving process because of a traumatic event and they're looking for some positive rays of of hope of from people who've been through their own traumatic event and now are on the other side of it and can tell a story of inspiration and courage and i was just wondering first of all do you think um in your professional experience with working with um not directly with trauma, um, individuals who've been traumatized, but just in the space of trauma. Um, do you think those stories are um, helpful to healing? Um, I, I think they are just from my own personal experience, but I wanted to hear from a professional like yourself and um, the, how that might influence um, and, and help individuals who have been through a traumatic event. Well, I absolutely agree. They are critical to the healing and recovery journey. We know, I mean, peer support and mutual self-help is one of the six principles of a trauma-informed approach that comes out of the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. That's their, they um, define the principles and it's one of them. So, you know, it's very important. Um, we know that mutuality or shared experiences between two people who have had similar experiences builds connection builds hope, builds resilience. Um, I mean, it, 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 people hear the message that they're not alone. They're not broken. That's, that's often a aha moment for people when they start to hear this science. I mean, it's not me. It's not me. I'm not broken. I'm not unlovable. Mm. I, I'm not lazy. I'm not weak. I am strong and resilience, resilient, and I am valuable and have many gifts and strengths. Really? Is that true? And they can hear, people can learn that so well from stories of people who have been on this journey. It can also, of course, um, help people to think about their circumstances in a different way, bring new meaning to their, to their journey because they've seen someone who has, you know, found meaning in it or experienced post-traumatic growth, which is, you know, post-traumatic growth is a positive psychological change that, you know, people experience after a life crisis or a traumatic event. So um, for when that, those stories are shared, that can be incredibly empowering. I mean, it can help people take new action, find new resources. And I think um, being able to apply, apply all that to their own experience, maybe most importantly, though, it, it, it helps people not feel alone. It helps people be connected. I think stories are incredibly important. And, well, and thank you for that validation. I really oh, appreciate that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I, I know that when we talked before, you had said that you had a little bit of a, 
your own kind of lemon spark story. Would you want to share that with us? Sure. I mean, when I think about events in my life that solidified my passion for this approach, I, because I'm a social worker, so I've always been engaged in, in, you know, partnering with others on their journey, but it was about, uh, well, about 14 years in that my son, our son got, um, became ill with substance abuse, OCD, and mental health challenges, depression. And um, he has been on a 10-year journey now. And it was that, I think it was that family experience of watching him and us uh, move through the many pieces of the system and have experiences with different providers, some that were very kind and compassionate, respectful, empathic, others that were not. Um, that it was that experience that really helped me understand the importance of this approach. So um, Kirk, you know, he fell ill after his freshman year in college, and he does give me permission to share these pieces with you. But and 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 since that time, he has had um, eight hospitalizations, um, two residential stays, countless outpatient treatments. And again, what I learned is that um, it only takes one individual in an organization to behave unkindly to someone or to use shame as a motivator. Shame is, is never helpful. It's always risky and it's never helpful. And so when, when an organization or one person uses that, use that with Kirk, it would set him back three, four, three, four months sometimes. Um, And I saw how much it mattered when people and providers or an individual therapist was really there just to be there for him, not to check a box around getting a session done or getting notes completed, but to be present, empathic, and, and just to listen um, to Kirk. And those kinds of interactions were so incredibly powerful. When, we, when, when people honored his voice, brought him into his treatment planning, of course, made him the head of his, you know, the, the, the driver of his treatment planning, that mattered a lot. He has come a very long way, um, achieved both his bachelor's degree and his MSW in social work since. Oh, he's taking yeah. after his mom. Yes, he is. It's That's great. so great. Imagine that, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, thank you. And so he, while he still has challenges, certainly, and there are bumps in the road. He is absolutely, for me, a story of hope and resilience. And I, that motivates me every day. There have been many other stories in our, you know, hundreds of stories in the organization that I see in the organizations I work with and partner with around how this approach matters and helps people um, become unstuck, I guess. You know, move to a place where they can find hope and resilience, where they can reclaim their future and reclaim goals that they forgot about, that they couldn't remember they had for themselves, where they can find connection and again, understand that they are valuable, uh, gifted, resilient, and resilient people. They're valuable, gifted, and resilient, so. Yes. Well, I can definitely see how having someone like you or the people that you train and who adhere to what you teach them about being trauma informed and having that lens could be such a gift to the person going through the trauma. And uh, I hope it spreads. I hope the work you do spreads. And I want to thank you so much for sharing your story and your expertise with us today. 
I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Barbara, so much for having, having me. You ask an amazing question when you, you know, talk about Lemon Spark. Um, it's so relevant and we all need that right now. So thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. Take care. Okay. Thank you.